Welcome back to Trending in Education. Dan Strapper, Brandon Jones, Michael Palmer with you again. And today we have a special guest, Nancy Sanchez from the Kaplan Foundation. We're going to be talking about college transfers and accessibility of a college education. But first, we're going to talk to Brandon. Mike, Brandon, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Dan. Thanks. And I'm excited to be here with Nancy um, and uh, excited to talk about this topic. And Michael, yourself? Yeah, same deal here. Uh, it's always exciting to have a guest. You're sitting, uh, Nancy's sitting in, we've called it the Elon Musk chair. Yeah. I think it's potentially the Tom Brady chair. No, Tom Brady stands outside okay. and just okay. stretches. But for today, it's it's the, the Nancy Sanchez chair. It is, so, and maybe uh, forevermore. Yeah, and it's uh, it, let's get let's get right into uh, into that conversation. And we bring in Nancy Sanchez now uh, from the Kaplan Foundation, and you're an author of a new book about college transfers. Uh, can you give us a little bit about your background, Nancy? and what was the the reasoning for authoring this book and getting it out to the market? Sure. So I'm the executive director of the Kaplan Educational Foundation, which started in 2006. So we celebrated 11 years of bringing uh, high potential, high performing community college students from diverse backgrounds to highly selective institutions. And in that process, we have really come to find that not only do four-year selective colleges benefit from bringing in a diverse group of students, but it also um, that our students really do well and then go back and give back to their communities in very different ways. So we're excited about the work we have done. That's great. Yeah. And the, the book is called Your 2018 Guide to College Transfer. And it's dropping like it's dropping like it's hot, of course, <laughs> and it's dropping like as we speak. Right. So it's just just That's coming right. to print. Yeah. That's so right. um, how can folks find out more like and who's who's it really written for? Like if, uh, you know, when you were thinking about putting this book together, like who who were you really trying to reach? And uh, if those folks are interested or if people know people who might be interested, what's the best way for, for people to find out about the book? Sure. So there are two websites that we have right now, which is the Kaplan Ed Foundation. To to be very specific, we're the Kaplan Educational Foundation um, running the Kaplan Leadership Program. But going to the Kaplan Ed Foundation would be the best way, as well as going to yourguidetocollegetransfer.org, mm-hmm. um, which also houses additional resources based on the guide. Mm-hmm. Um the guide really came out of a need for us to share our expertise. We have become very um, good at about getting our own students into these selectives. But when you think about it, us bringing in such a small group of students, we work each year with about 20 something students. Mm-hmm. And thinking about the millions of students that are out there, uh, we felt that it was really our responsibility and uh, to, to expand our mission and get uh, the information out um, to uh, advisors at high schools because mm-hmm. uh, we do think that transfer has to be a part of the discussion of college access early on, mm-hmm. given that so many students, I believe it's 37 uh, percent students transfer. So it's so needed, uh, especially if we are all in the conversation about degree complete completion. Mm-hmm. So so you have that there. And we also uh, the guide is written in, in to to get students to be well informed about the transfer process and how to become a transfer star. But it is also a call for four year schools Mm -hmm. because we provide the profiles. We really in black and white list. What are you doing about veterans? What are you doing about DACA and documented? 
about students with families. Mm -hmm. And so in these 90 profiles provided on the book, schools can really see what it is that, that their policies are and compare. And we hope to start a conversation with those schools as well. Mm -hmm. And could you just tell us a little bit of, more about uh, transfer students? I mean, I, I think uh, our listeners, one of the things that they'll be surprised to hear the stat you already, already just shared about 37% of students transfer at least once. But, but who, are, who are these students? Like, who are these transfer students? And, and what are some of the unique challenges that, that they face? Right. So, so when we think of accessing higher education or accessing a degree, just think about that uh, uh, so many students start through community college. Like, for example, in the Latino population, we're looking at over half, 56%, I believe the, hmm. the number is. Mm -hmm. um, that's pretty high. So in the Latino population, many of them are entering through community college. That's the percentage. Mm -hmm. So if a highly selective is looking to bring in more Latinos, for example, to their that's the place classrooms, to look. that's the place to look. Yep. And these are students that are resilient. Uh, but if when you think of the veteran population, so many of them are also starting through online courses mm -hmm. as they are serving. So how do we target them? And again, not to look at these, uh, these students from a point of deficiency. Right. Oh, you're in a community college or you have been doing online courses. It's, it's really to say, how have you been able to accrue those credits and still uh, serve or still, be, you know, uh, work with your family or support mm -hmm. them? So these students are resilient. Uh, they exist in every community. Uh, of course, that's where community colleges are in certain communities. So you will have, you know, the daughter of a farmer. You mm -hmm. will also have a young woman, 28 years old, who has a child who is working at a local pharmacy. So this is a very diverse, diverse group at many different levels, not just race, but income, experiences, age. And so we have to know that if, if you want to have an access program, you have to, to look at, at transfer in what it is that you're doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's it's gotta be fascinating for you having worked with so many individual success stories to, to understand the diversity just within the Kaplan Foundation. But then when you look more broadly at the transfer process, you know, you brought up veterans and, uh, you know, DACA students uh, as two groups that, that maybe you know a little bit more about. Do you know, do you understand that from personal connections to students or do you understand that just from a more broad understanding of this population? Like, how have you learned about the diversity and uh, sort of variability of experiences that exist within this transfer population? Well, I'm a transfer student myself. I studied at community college. To be honest with you, you know, I, I dropped out of high school so mm -hmm. I, and I eventually had to get a GED and I dropped out not because... I wasn't intellectually engaged or they didn't have critical thinking skills or mm -hmm. they didn't have the, the drive to get a bachelor's degree, but because I had to work mm -hmm. to support, to bring support to my family. Yep. Um, and so I think I'm a very typical case of a community college student mm -hmm. uh, or, or any student, again, that's taking online classes. And so when you think about that and you think about the, the fact that that these community that community colleges, but many of these institutions offer very uh, a very varied uh, offering that makes it possible for you to pursue a college degree. I I often found that around me there were so many students that wanted to continue mm -hmm. but didn't have the resources. A community college or transferring to your local four-year school mm -hmm. meant you continuing to work long hours, meant you continuing to really only be able to dedicate yourself halfway or, or not fully to, to, to your school. Mm -hmm. 
the reason why we need to focus in highly selective institutions, um, and I was lucky enough to transfer on a scholarship myself to Long Island University mm -hmm. through a special program in the community. Um, uh, it, the the importance of having schools that have lots of resources mm -hmm. is that they are able to meet the needs of a student like me. Right. I needed a school that would fund me at a very different level. I just didn't need tuition. I also needed money for glasses. Right. Right. I also needed a, a at that time I didn't have a laptop because it was a long time right, ago. Right. 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 <laughs> I did have a very bad typewriter, but we're not going to get into that. <laughs> Um, but, but, you know, again, that's that's really the, the case of, of many students. When we recruit our students at local community colleges, you wouldn't believe how many of them say, I'm working at the library to type my essays. Right. I couldn't get them in. So really thinking about the these are great students, but with limited resources. And if, if we are going to really help them complete, we need to find the colleges that have the resources to fund their needs. Mm -hmm. It's like. Does that make sense? Yeah, and Absolutely. I think there's a need on both sides, right? So there's the need for these students to find a spot in a, in a selective university, and the selective universities also have a need for an interest in diversity. So I, I think this this book and your experience provides a, a nice um, education opportunity on both sides because mm -hmm. it's it's connecting, you know, two different market needs, and you know, hopefully finding a, a market solution for that. Exactly. You know, when I worked at Kingsborough Community College, where I graduated from, I remember do, I, I was hired to the study abroad and I never traveled. I didn't even do a, a passport. I remember hmm. it was hilarious because I was getting students <laughs> to Spain and I spoke, I speak Spanish. I'm, I'm Puerto Rican. <laughs> and, and I said, oh, they're going to the motherland. <laughs> and I, and I really, I, I never thought that I would go. And it was, hmm. it was very, uh, perplexing to me that many of the students that were going to study abroad in Kingsborough were teachers who were there on some leave, on mm. sabbatical. So even though there was a program being offered, the general population couldn't really mm. take advantage of it. And now our students, really all of them, um, we push them to do study abroad. And again, just think about somebody wanting to do international business that has never traveled. Right. It's like me yeah. wanting to be in uh, international education, but not even owning a passport. Mm -hmm. Again, is thinking, how do you have that student, uh, that undocumented, that uh, single parent, that married couple that it's really working very hard, but really doesn't have the resources to complete. Mm -hmm. is wh what is the right school out there where they're going to just really thrive and not just survive? And mm -hmm. we have to really give them that opportunity and think about choice at the point of transfer. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's really, really important. And how many uh, schools in this in this guide? How many schools did you profile? We profiled ninety schools. Uh, these are top colleges. Uh, we included the Ivies. You will find that not all of the Ivies are really doing well in the transfer process. Um, again, because this is our first edition, we didn't want it to be a judgmental kind <laughs> of guide. Sure. Although. I, I, we can discuss that. Um, but, you know, let's think about it like a school like Princeton, who announced uh, not so long ago that they are going to start bringing in um, more students. Uh, and they're going to open up their transfer. They weren't accepting transfer students, I think, since the 90s. Mm. And how important it is, because they, they said, you know, we want to really bring in veterans and we want to bring in other uh, other groups to the school. I applaud them mm -hmm. because it's not to say you you're not doing this. It's to say how can we get you to do this? How can why why is this important to you? And I just want to add that 
is cheaper for to bring in a transfer student with 60 credits hmm. with a proven record. Hmm. If that student especially attended a high school that didn't prepare them as well to college. Right. How do you then get proof that the student is able to do that work? So mm-hmm. again, it's just community college and students who have credits from online courses really, really, ha- you have to see that as a proven record of success. It's yeah. also interesting to think about it. Uh, there's an, an additional population of benefits. So like the the transfer students themselves benefit, the the selective university benefits, but also the students within that selective university who would have not been exposed to more diversity and other perspectives. So like if, you know, which I I guess in part is why the more selective colleges like Princeton's example are starting to open themselves up because you don't really want to just develop your undergrads with a limited perspective of who might be able to, you know, engage in that academic experience. It's actually opening up uh, the perspective of, of, of that, that group as well. Right. Isn't it amazing um, that we can, the three of us can really sit here and discuss this from different backgrounds, right? Right. right. And we come out richer from it and sure. understanding, um, it, it's it, understanding that you understand me, mm-hmm. right? Coming mm-hmm. away that if this is not a conversation that I'm only having within my own community, within the same people. Right. Uh, that's really what is effective communication. Mm-hmm. At four-year institutions, we're just think American government or American history right to just be just one group mm-hmm. from the top percent percentile of the income bracket and you're trying to find solutions to poverty right and let's say we're trying to find solutions for poverty on selfish reasons right based on you making some money based on financial goals let's mm-hmm. say that mm-hmm. why don't you have somebody there at the table that can then bring some humanity, but also efficiency on how to do it well so that we're all successful. Right. And even reaching markets that folks may not have thought about or thinking (laughs) about poverty from a a different perspective, which also ultimately makes uh, those graduates more employable because like they across all ranges, like, you know, uh, typically in the hiring conversation, you want to understand that the people you're hiring are able to engage with a diverse population, understand that there are different perspectives from their own. Um, you know, that's, and I imagine that's, that's been true, uh, you know, at a, at a sort of micro level within the, the Kaplan Foundation. And now this is really an opportunity to sort of amplify that message and push it out through more like a mass channel, like a, like a book. Right. And, and I think, you know, your, this guide, um, your 2018 guide to, to college transfer was really meant to do that. It was really meant to, to, to push out information to people that may not be able to access it because they're not in New York where we're located, mm-hmm. right? Most of our students, well, all of our students come from City University of New York. They're community colleges. Got it. And so, again, understanding that these students may be in the, in the middle of Arkansas mm. and that may have only considered their local uh, technical four-year school right. as a point of transfer. And it is to say to them, look, these schools are waiting for you. These two, they, there are certain schools that really want you that will be able to fund you. Mm-hmm. Actually, it may be cheaper for you to attend that four-year selective. Right. Um, so, so really kind of thinking about those things. The guide is supposed to also give them guidance of what are the things that they need to do while they're completing their current degree in contemplation of transfer. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that's really important. What kind of relationships they need to build at, the, at their current school. 
um, what kind of activities they should be um, taking on to really prove their leadership skills. Yep. So it's th those are the guide is really meant to prepare a student for transfer. Yeah, and I think there's a real opportunity. I mean, the um, the the guide is an opportunity to, to help provide these this connection, as I was talking about earlier, and as as you added tail on Nancy, but. Um, you know, talk about adding diversity and diverse perspectives. Mm -hmm. I mean, there this is a this is actually a real problem in higher ed where you have oh, yeah. I think there was a, a Times article that we were linking to um, that uh, maybe Dan you can share in the glossary um, that uh, it's a running joke. Uh, Nancy Dan has never built a glossary. There's like this whole thing. Like he tweets thing. though. He does tweet. There he does is tweet. in fact a glossary. The glossary yeah. exists. Yeah, yeah it's, it's hard to find. It's it's, it's not optimized. News. It's not optimized this for search news. and but discovery. There, there's um there, there are <laughs> schools that have more students from the top one percent. Mm. Than from the bottom sixty percent, right? Like that which is it's like a crazy thing to think about. Totally. And, um, you know, I think the, those schools and those students need that additional perspective. I mean, that's talking about going out in the world. Like you don't really. I mean, there there are bubbles and those exist, but sure. you, you don't really gr graduate from one of these selective institutions and go out into a world that looks like your college population. Like mm -hmm. the world looks like the world. Right. So um, I think this is, a, this is a great opportunity. And um, you know, I think exactly as you were talking about before about having the right kind of perspectives and backgrounds and experiences in the room, mm -hmm. that's gonna help you know, broaden young people's experiences. It's gonna help with policy going forward. I think there's lots of opportunity here. I mean, you know, whenever you, we think of trends in higher ed, there, there's always a discussion around bringing more diversity. So from from bringing in more uh, uh, diversity of faculty and staff and interests and course uh, content and all of that. The uncomfortable situation is often about, you know, really exposing you who makes up your, your student body. Mm -hmm. um, whether it is that you're you're overrepresenting in the lower right income or underrepresented groups that brings onto you know certain issues because you really have to then make sure that you're you're meeting the needs and bringing equity to that right like what are the needs that we need to address and then when you look at a school that has most of their population or a great portion of their population comes from the top that mm. in itself has the issues sure. but these are very uncomfortable situations and when we're putting the guide together I remember thinking about, you know, how do we make this a, a celebration, right? How do we then discuss this from a, look, there is a good solution here. If you want, we understand that low-income students may really, it's, it's a challenge because they really need you to fulfill 100% need to be successful. That's what the data indicates, right? Mm -hmm. You really need to fund them. So that may cost you a million dollars, you know, to fund just a few students. Mm -hmm. But really thinking about what are you bringing back, which is what you both mentioned, right? That that you that investment, it's the ripple effect of that investment is going to give greatly mm -hmm. because those students at that table are really going to walk away understanding firsthand the another perspective. Yeah, mm -hmm. and that that million dollars is uh, you know pick your number for whatever number of students that. So that cost is amortized over your oh, entire yeah. student population, actually. Totally. Like, I think it's a, it's a mistake to think that that's an investment in a handful of students. It's right. actually an investment in the whole student body. Right. And, and not to mention, once you're publishing whatever metrics you're publishing about this, it becomes an incentive in terms of how you're perceived externally in that I imagine this is going to be like a yearly guide yes, yes. moving forward. So like once those numbers are out there, uh, particularly selective schools are, are very conscious of numbers right. and they're going to want to be moving their numbers in the right direction. Absolutely. And, and in a way like 
you know, demonstrating some thought leadership around how we evaluate and how we quantify and measure what people are doing um, helps move the conversation in a direction that that we want it to to go. You know, like people are starting to be held accountable. Obviously, we're not trying to, um, you know, make it a negative conversation, but the idea that folks can have a fuller perspective about how a university feels about these types of issues, how open they are to uh, enabling these access points that we're talking about, it does, I, I imagine it will affect more change over time. Like, I, I don't know, I don't know if you've heard anything initially, like how did the universities feel about uh, being evaluated using, I guess what would be kind of new criteria? Right. I, I mean, uh, for us, the feedback has been great. We did get a lot of cooperation in getting the the information that we compiled together. Mm -hmm. There were many times that you did ask the question and schools did not know their own policy mm. um, or they didn't have a policy. Yeah. Uh, you know, which is really surprising. Now, that could be a good thing. or It could be a bad thing. Sure. Because the school may say we don't have a policy because we can we don't consider that. Let me give you an example of status. So meaning just because the school doesn't have a, a policy about, you know, of admissions based on residency or citizenship status, we may be great because that means that we don't look at that. Right, we right. Don't consider more, it. Doors are more open, yeah. Right. My concern is what happens once the student is accepted. The mm. getting in may be the easiest part here. Right. But how are we going to then fulfill the needs of that student? And I'll tell you, my students that are currently in many of these selective schools, when there were conversations about DACA students and there were conversations, you know, uh, all of the things that have been happening, mm -hmm. um, they saw students being concerned about not going back home and not being able to return. Um, but the same thing when you think about veterans, uh, you need to have a very clear um you know, policy, because that allows people to plan. If we were, if we are veterans, right, and we don't know what you're doing or what kind of policy, it's hard to make a decision. Sure. Yeah. sure. And I feel like you have to take it seriously. So it, it doesn't mean that a school doesn't take it seriously, but I want you to really sit down and think about it mm -hmm. and say, how am I going to then communicate to the veteran population or to um, people in the community that may want to attend the school how to get here? Right. Because silence yeah. is not always good. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think just going back to um, Mike, what you've been talking about, about schools having sort of an incentive to have mm -hmm. their numbers look better. Mm -hmm. I think it probably at a certain level doesn't matter what the whether the school's incentives are more mercenary. They want their numbers, you know, their diversity numbers sure. to, to go up or they're doing it from a sort of more, more profound commitment to the community, like to the students who are transferring in. I mean, there's like tokenism considerations. Sure. But like outside of that, I, I imagine those students, if there are more of them, it's just, they're just happier to be there, right? Like right. it's not, right. they don't, they don't, at a certain level, they probably don't care whether they're there because uh, a, a selective university wants to look better in Nancy Sanchez's guide. <laughs> right. Or because, you know, someone there has taken uh, a, a more um, uh, holistic view of the community and wants to, to change their student population to that student. Mm -hmm they're there. <laughs> so right. like, it's good. So I, I think, you know, the, the work that you're doing in this and uh, I'm, I, you know, you said in year one, there's <laughs> no blaming. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to the guide to year three when the, when the claws come out. Um, but uh, you know, whether it's that you're, you're just educating or there's another lens that, that schools are being evaluated through and they are incented to make their numbers look better because of that. I think either way, 
that's helping students. And I think yeah. that that's going to be going to be good for those students, good for those communities. Yeah, I, I agree. I also think it's interesting to think about how how you go through that evaluative process to like, I imagine you're also looking at the kinds of services that these universities do provide right. to veterans or to traditionally underserved populations or to DACA students. Like, you know, like I, I haven't had a chance to read through the book yet, but I imagine there is, there, there's more than uh, simply percentages. There's also like more qualitative understanding of what the universities are doing. Cause like, I imagine another thing that is measured is uh, their success with those students who they have admitted, you know, cause like you need to continue to provide services that are probably different from the traditional services you provided when you start engaging with a more diverse population. Right. A perfect example of that is housing, mm. right? Again, if you, you're welcoming somebody with a family, but you don't provide housing or you don't open up graduate housing to, to that undergrad student, it's a problem because especially it may mean that that student may have to have a car. Uh, it may mean that which adds different expenses. Mm -hmm. It keeps a student out of campus and unable to really fully participate. Mm -hmm. um, going back to the point that you made, Brandon, about, you know, what is that school's, you, you know, commitment to, to, the, to the mission of diversity inclusion? Um, using the example of women's colleges, many women's colleges really have really done great work in that because they make a commitment, not just accepting that student, but they have constructed housing for, for women mm -hmm. with families. Mm -hmm. um, that really is a, a, a total follow through, yeah. right? It's a, it's a really a thought process. And it's not to say that that was, those schools were built for non-traditional students, uh, but they really have considered, wait, are we going to serve women? Women, you know, may that woman may have a child. So let's consider, you know, how to house them. And I have to tell you, they have a bit nicer apartment than I do in many of these schools. <laughs> right. I've tried to move in with my yeah. scholars. It hasn't worked <laughs> it yet, but I'm still trying sure. and, and recognizing. You can see if they can adopt you yes. and then you can be brought into the, to the housing. I think that's Thank a, you. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. It's clever. <laughs> Nancy, are there any, um, I wonder if there are any particular schools that uh, might be interested just to take a little deeper dive into any of the profiles. So like a, a school that's doing this, that's one of the 90 that you profiled. Is there a school that's doing this particularly well that, that uh, you might be able to tell our, our listeners a little bit more about? Sure. You know, I, I have to say, um, I was speaking at a conference at a breakfast recently, and somebody started to say, oh, you know, something about Stanford University, meaning, oh, nobody gets into Stanford. And that, that may be true, right? <laughs> um, it, it may be very difficult to get in there. And then they say, oh, they don't accept transfer students. The fact is that they do, and mm -hmm. that they have for many years. Mm -hmm. And the fact is that they have a transfer orientation. Mm -hmm. And the fact is that they have transfer housing. They have transfer advisors. And so just thinking about that messaging, right? So here is Stanford University, who the three of us can say uh, we may not get into Stanford. It may be very difficult to get in. Uh, our children may not get into Stanford, our family members. But really, we can't just we wouldn't say that to our the own people that we love and care for. Mm -hmm. So it's really important to say no, because in, of the 60 something students we have served, we have four students at Stanford. So yeah, think about the odds. So Stanford is really doing amazing work. And I know it's really hard to get in, but it's still something for people to aspire to and to understand that even a school like that really does this. Women's colleges have been at the top of the game with this, with transfer students. Mm -hmm. They have really uh, set aside programming and funding and doing this. Brown University, which we um, honor in our last gala here at the Kaplan Educational Foundation, 
was really impressive. They have a dean that is amazing and dedicated to the population, accept the credits, um, really provide again an orientation and services. The entire community is informed to so imagine that you come in as a 30 something year old, like we have a student right now that is also was accepted, didn't, did undergrad uh, there, but also is, was accepted to their medical school. Mm. And he was welcome and orientation. It wasn't like, oh, and here's our freshman class and here's our transfer student. You know, we look for that. Mm. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Um, so I think we're getting close to time. Uh, can you just remind folks if they wanted to find out more about the kinds of services that are available? Obviously, there's the book, but like, uh, I think more folks will want to direct either their own kids or their friends or others. Like I'm thinking of my nephew right now. So like if, uh, if we wanted to point people in the right direction, uh, where, where would we direct them? So I always direct people to our website, which is kaplanedfoundation.org, but we now have a brand new website with all of the resources for transfer, which is your guide to college transfer.org. It's very long. <laughs> um, and we do apologize for that, but we wanted to make sure um, that there was one place where people can get some transfer resources. Mm -hmm. um, and we're going to be adding to that consistently. So uh, please look out for, for the resources that are there now. And also there's a link to actually purchase the guide. Mm -hmm. Um, which we're very excited about. That's great. Yeah, I think if you if you can remember that that uh, <laughs> the name of that URL, I think that you probably got a good chance. You're to, on your to, way. Yeah, you're like you are a transfer student at the top <laughs> of the class. So, yeah, that is um, that's a that's a lot of URL uh, that you got, Nancy. But that, it's a, it's just so great. It's great that you're you've done this. Um, and uh, that we've, I think it's the first author we've brought in to. Yes. Uh, well, to, Rohit, I guess, is kind of an author. Okay, fine. But, so you're, okay, second author. But don't among, step on my point. Among the first people, authors. For people who aren't listening deep into the back catalog, they don't know. They don't know about Rohit. Yeah. Um, but anyway, Nancy, it's great having you here. I think this is, you know, I, I've um, been engaged with the foundation, just yes. um, uh, seeing the work that you do and seeing the scholars here in our office and. I've attended the incredible galas that you've thrown over the last several years, and it's it's amazing stories. And this is, these are stories, young men and women who uh, for a lot of communities don't have a lot of interaction with and um, just don't know the kind of work and um, just grit and stick to that these young women and men have. It's it's really incredible. You do an incredible job on your in your day to day. And I think uh, through this book, if you can reach even more people. Uh, I'm really excited to see uh, what what comes from that. So thank you. No, thank you both for having me here. You've both been, been you have both been supportive of our scholars um, throughout the years, and I just cannot tell you how much I appreciate being here and getting the the word out about our guide, um, but also about the great work that it's being done through Kaplan Education Foundation and Kaplan and the folks here and how much they give to us. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you, and we'd love to love to continue the conversation. If the scholars uh, maybe on a future show, we could talk to folks who are going through the transfer process. Like it's uh, it's really uh, really great work. So thanks thanks again. That's going to do it for this episode of Trending in Education. Thanks again to Nancy Sanchez. Find more information on your 2018 Guide to College Transfer at yourguidetocollegetransfer.org. We'll be back next week with a new episode. Thanks to Brandon. Thanks to Mike. You've been listening to Trending in Education. 